percent of the time it works every time. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. I drink your milkshake. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Cinefleck. Uh, I am your host, Ethan Colburn. It is so good to be back. Um, I'm so happy to be back. Um, I, I released my can episode pretty recently, but uh, this is my first proper episode about a movie in uh, six months, five months or something. So um, please share this episode um, I don't know how many of you guys are gonna still be listening. I hope uh, you have interest in returning to the podcast, and I hope you guys are all doing really well. Um, please reach out to me on social media. Uh, I'll have my links in the bio here. I had a really good time talking to Steven on this episode about Last Night in Soho. It's a movie that came out this last weekend that we both really, really enjoyed in theaters. Um, I enjoy a lot of Edgar Wright's movies, and this one especially uh, was such an interesting turn for him, as as we'll kind of get into in the episode. Uh, To pair with this one... I made the cocktail that Anya Taylor-Joy orders in the movie, a Vesper, which, uh, just a little history on that, because I didn't actually get into that in the episode. It was uh, one of the first cocktails that James Bond orders, and it's a recipe that Ian Fleming actually writes out in the book Casino Royale. Um, so it's sort of... 50s cool and when you have like a character like sandy who's sort of coming up in this london and this um you know 60s london where she wants to be a star it it makes some sense that she would want to go for such a kind of classic fun drink uh the other thing is vesper is obviously named after the character well not obviously but it's named after the character uh vesper lynn who is played by eva green in the movie version of casino royale but if you know anything about the turn that that character takes uh that kind of foreshadows sandy's um character arc in this movie so that I found uh quite interesting as I was thinking more about it and getting into the cocktail recipe I don't quite know what next week's show's going to be I have a Barb and Star episode in the works so we will see if that makes it out next week um I want to try to get back on a consistent schedule with this but but at least I will be posting episodes somewhat regularly so uh yeah please please share the episode if you can uh i am so happy to be back i had a really fun time uh recording this one so without further ado let's throw you into this week's episode i hope you enjoy we're gonna have fun we're gonna have a good time we're gonna have a good time it'll be fun steven welcome to the podcast (laughs) Glad to be here, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate having you on. This is my first, I was telling you, this is my first like proper podcast in six months or so. We did the, we did the little can retrospective. This was, that was not movie analysis. This is, this is a, this is a proper movie analysis. We're doing last night in Soho. How are you feeling about this? I waited like two years for this movie. I finished, um, I can't remember if it was Shaun of the Dead or Hot Fuzz. But I remember like going, I'd seen like Baby Driver and Scott Pilgrim before that. So I already, I was familiar with his work. And so I was like looking through and seeing if he had any new movies coming up. And I saw Last Night in Soho and it was the old poster with like the neon sign. I was so excited. I oh yeah. Of it, and I was like, oh, this is going to be. So every time there was a new trailer, it was automatically posted to the Instagram story. I was so excited and it yeah. absolutely did not disappoint. You have a little critique small critiques here and there but it did not disappoint i'm looking forward to your critiques because i did not i could not find any um what what was your what 
so it sounds like you'd seen most of his movies prior prior to prior to seeing this one. Yes, that's correct. So what was your experience with Edgar Wright up until last night in Soho? Okay, so mostly I watched Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead with my brother because yeah. I feel like most of his, all of his movies, I would say are hangout movies. You turn them on for someone who doesn't watch a lot of movies. They have a good time. That's the end of it. Now, Scott Pilgrim is, y'all can hate me for this. I'm really sorry. It is one of my favorite movies. I've seen it more times than I can count. It's, Who's going to hate you for that? That's like, it's a great movie. Haters. There's some, they are very You're right. loud. You're right. They're very, they're very loud, but, but, but they're, they are the loud minority. Yes. I, I don't, yes. I disown all my Scott Pilgrim yeah. haters. You can unsubscribe. <laughs> if you're listening to this and you hate Scott Pilgrim, you can stop listening here. Uh, so I just watched his work here and there. Um, Hot Fuzz, I think, is still my favorite of his. It's brilliant. I think me too. I think me too. I lo- I'm obsessed with Hot Fuzz. It's I haven't seen it. I've only seen it once. I needed to rewatch it again. But I mean, it's just like the comedies and obviously like the action of Baby Driver and Scott Pilgrim. But uh, Shaun of the Dead, I think, is probably still like a really high one. But I mean, I was just more familiar with his comedy work and, you know, some more of the action. Like, you know, most of his movies have like that one, like, really big gore scene like in um i can't remember i think it is hot fuzz where like part of the tower falls or the part in baby driver with the truck so i was expecting last night in soho to be more you know violent and dark and it was that but um i I feel like i just had really high expectations for this one being more dark since all of his others have been you know kind of not light and fluffy but still you know comedic and all of that so I was more expecting this one to be more dark and not violent per se, but still have that, you know, Edgar Wright aspect of it. And it did, oh, yeah. it did not disappoint. It still had some of his style and his directing choices, but it's a complete, this is like, and at least in my opinion, this is uncharted territory uh, of genre for Edgar Wright, which is, brilliant to watch and brilliant to you know be able to see unfold this man trying new genre and like you know dipping his toes into the thriller psychological thriller genre yeah yeah no 100 i mean um like i think i think the best way i've heard it put as i was listening to uh the podcast the big picture and sean fantasy was talking about how like all of his other movies are sort of they sort of wink at you. Like they're yeah. sort of like, even, even when the characters are so self-serious, you know, that you, you know, that he's sort of doing these tropes mm-hmm. and, yeah. and uh, last night in Soho, though, though it's got a sort of unique tone to it. It's, it's almost an entirely mm-hmm. unique film. Yeah. It's not never funny, but it's almost rarely funny in the way that his other films are, which is, it's interesting to see um, Edgar Wright sort of separate his pure technique, which you still see in this movie. You still see yeah. his his whip pans and his zooms from his comedic work, which, yeah. I mean, which you didn't see as much of in Baby Driver, but you, no. it was still there. It was still yeah. there. Mm-hmm. under underneath the surface mm-hmm. um and so it's it's interesting to see him sort of i mean it's a darker turn some would say a more mature turn but i don't know it's it's a it's a it's a different it's a different tone for him for sure <laughs> i feel like if you haven't seen any or if you have seen excuse me if you have seen edgar wright movies or at least familiar with his work and you didn't know that he directed this movie you would almost not be able to tell that you know, Hot Fuzz, all those other movies that he's directed, because this one is just such a step from his regular work. But if you're obviously, if you're familiar with it, you're going to catch, you know, like you said, the whip pans and the zooms that he uses in his other movies, which I think is, that's really cool for a director who's been around as long as he has and has such a credibility to his name, you know, it's like, oh, I'm seeing an Edgar Wright movie. It's like, you know what to expect. And I didn't know what to expect from this one. I felt like that added to the hype and the excitement of finally being able to watch it. Yeah, totally, totally. And he does he he he, he does play with that in the opening scene because the opening yeah. the opening scene is like the girls dancing around a room yeah. and she's like, <laughs> but it's all timed with the music. And then also mm-hmm. and then also you have her sort of like smoking a cigarette next 
next to the picture of Audrey Hepburn smoking a cigarette in Breakfast at Tiffany's. Like you have her sort of posing with things in the room, very like classic Edgar Wright to pan to yeah. things that the characters are also experiencing as they pan. Like, like he, he almost starts out just being like, this is my movie. <laughs> like you are watching an Edgar Wright movie and it's going to get weirder. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, but he almost like starts that out that way to like, to like remind you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Remind you of what he's done before, I guess. Yes. And I, I appreciated that. I felt, I felt like that was cool. Nice, subtle nod to his other work. So what was your viewing experience? Like we both saw this, this last weekend. Yeah. Cause so it just came out. Weekend, I've been waiting for this one for a really long time. And as soon as, as soon as it came on, like this wave of excitement and like almost anxiousness came over me. Cause like, I genuinely had no clue what to expect. I'd seen every trailer, but the trailers didn't really reveal like a set plot. Like you, which I appreciated. I very, no, very, very much. So I feel yeah. like, like that. He did a really, really good job of that. So I almost didn't know what to expect from this. I knew it was probably going to be playing with time travel, quote unquote. And I knew the premise, but how that was going to unfold, I genuinely had no clue. And that, that feeling stuck around throughout the movie. And not at one point did I ever see anything, any of the twists and anything coming, which I very, very much appreciated. I did too. I did too. Um, yeah, no, I, I also, I, I was going to see this Thursday night, but then I, I had a friend that wanted to see it Friday night. And so we ended up going out to a theater in the area and everything. And it, it yeah, it was, it, 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 it was a really like captivating viewing experience from start to finish and my my first impression of it was just kind of like this tonally is like a lot of things but it's also like nothing that's come before it and that way in that way I felt like I mean that's that's kind of how people describe Tarantino a lot of the time it's a very similar feeling of like you're pulling from so many places but what you have put together is something entirely unique. And I definitely felt that felt that way with this film, especially just being in the horror genre and mm-hmm. having a plot that's very reminiscent of these like 70s mm-hmm. psychological thrillers. Yeah. But also looking glossy and beautiful and just like he has a way of making everything um look so like in place and making making like the mundane things of of life just look so important Mm -hmm. and uh yeah like like the the look of it felt entirely unique despite the sort of plot line being from previous things and that and all that being said I, i love the plot it just pulled from a lot of these old 60s and 70s movies that i love love as well uh, I feel like that takes expert filmmaking to be able to take yeah. inspiration from a lot of other movies and still be able to make them your own. Because I feel like like from filling in, you have a lot of big shoes to fill when you make a psychological thrill, thriller movie, especially from the 60s and 70s when that genre was really, you know, coming into itself with all of, you know, Hitchcock and all of those other critically amazing acclaimed directors. That's some pretty big shoes to fill. And yeah. so I feel like that was a very ambitious, ambitious choice. And I feel like it worked out pretty well. I feel like whenever we're older, it's going to be cool. It's like, oh, I, last night in Soho, that's a good one. Like telling our grandkids, like my grandparents tell me about Hitchcock. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's fun to, it's fun to experiencing. It, it's fun to experience things opening weekend. Yeah. Um, should we dive into spoilers? Yes. I'm just, yes. I should like, I, I assume most people have heard the podcast before, but I tend to just spoil the movies because we just want to get into all of it for everyone that's seen it. So I think we'll just do spoilers going forward. Um, you got a little taste of what we loved about the movie without revealing anything, just like the trailer. And anyway, uh, do you want to do you want to say what it's about? Because the trailer doesn't even reveal what it's about. Yeah. So basically, there's Thomas and Mackenzie's character. Her name is Eloise Turner. She mm-hmm. is going to a fashion college in London. I don't know where she lived before. I'm not familiar with the- Cornwall. She lived in where? Corn- Cornwall. 
<laughs> Cornwall. She lived there, and so she's moving into this big city for the first time. And she lives in a dorm, and her roommates, her, her dormmate, whatever, kind of an asshole, kind of the worst Jacosta. person. Jacosta. That was what her One name. One name. Jacosta. Hurricane Jacosta. She's the worst, awful person. And so she moves into this apartment or house that's a room for rent in uh, London and Soho specifically. And she starts, every time she goes to sleep, she starts having these visions or dreams per se of 1960s London. And it specifically follows a showgirl. I can't, I don't know the specific word for it, named Sandy, which is Anya Taylor-Joy's character and the showgirl slash prostitute yeah eventually yeah Yeah. that's yeah that i I have a point about that that was crazy um (laughs) (laughs) uh so as she follows it everything starts to get more chaotic and anxious and eventually these visions start taking over in her daily life and she starts seeing things in her dreams that she's seeing in real life and they start to mesh and come into one and then all hell unfolds after that Yes. Yes. All hell unfolds. I mean, I mean, the best way her, her visions and her real life all kind of start intertwining. Yes. And uh, shit gets crazy. It gets really crazy, crazy. (laughs) Uh, really crazy, really quick. Um, Do you, do you wish you had uh, visions of a, of a different time when you went to sleep? I, I don't know. That's a very, if, it's hard if, to it's hard to wish for that after watching this movie. Yeah, maybe before, if you had asked me before, my answer would probably be yes. But after watching the ending of this movie, I would probably go with no. Maybe without all the murder, addiction, and prostitution, maybe. But probably not. I would have to say no. <laughs> Couple questions off that. First of all, if if there was a time that like you wanted to just like go to sleep and, and wake up in every night, what would that time period be? All right. The seventies. I feel like. Seventies where? Like Woodstock era, like, you know, maybe California. Like San San Francisco and like San Francisco, 1969. (laughs) Oh yeah. I feel like Texas, like, especially with uh, all of like, we still have like a lot of landmarks around here from yeah. the seventies like that. When, especially when that was flourishing, I feel like that would be really cool to witness. That would be cool. Like, my my second question is who would you cast as your Anya Taylor-Joy? <laughs> Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, that's, that's kind of that's what I was thinking. Yeah, kind of like who you'd want to be. Yeah, I would, no, I would want to be Timothy Chalamet for sure. Great, okay. Timothy Chalamet in the city. We have a movie. Yeah, we do. All right, we gotta start casting. We'll start directing. It'll be like. Should we, should we recruit Edgar, or do you think he's done with this concept? No, I feel like we gotta get like a fresh new mind in here. Someone who's never done it. Fresh new mind in here. We gotta get yeah. Focus Features to agree to call call it Last Night in Soho too. <laughs> like Texas edition, or like Texas edition. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, were, were were you surprised when you saw some of like the negative reactions online yes. by people? Yes, people were very critical of this movie, and I feel like I saw a lot of like two and a half, three, three and a half ratings, and yeah. a lot of them I feel like didn't really give a decent reason why. Like I feel like. Honestly, I feel like people are like, yeah, it's not like his other work and all of that. But like a couple users were just saying it's like it just wasn't good. And I highly disagree with that. I thought it was a quality movie that I would, yeah. that has a very high, honestly, a very high rewatch factor. At least for yeah. me, I feel like I could rewatch that one and notice different things every time. But I feel like all of the all of the negative critiques about it are being a little too picky so if you're listening and you have a low rating you're being too picky you can also unsubscribe no yeah, please unsubscribe. i i, I <laughs> i'm gonna get all these un- no no um, <laughs> trying to try to rebuild my 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 listenership after this long break um, we accept you. 
<laughs> Thank you. Um, so no, I was I was definitely surprised to see that because I I feel like it's 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 in his like top tier. If if not, if it might be my favorite of his movies, if not like in that very, very top tier of films. It's top three for me. Top three, I agree. Right yeah, because I just I loved the way the plot twists and turns. It could also just be that I'm a sucker for like movies going back to the 60s. Like, I mean, I also loved Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like yeah. maybe you just need to make a movie where you go back to the 60s and I'll like it. <laughs> that could that could be the reason. I don't know. All but movies from now on are gonna be involving the 60s. There's nothing <laughs> movie from now on is gonna be placed in the 60s every movie from the on the podcast going forward will either be filmed <laughs> in the 60s or taking place in the 60s yeah, just completely rebrand yeah <laughs> totally so so i i definitely think that's a that's a factor just the cool factor of the way he sort of filmed that nightlife anya taylor joy's dancing yes She's oh so my amazing. God. She's and that was her singing too, you know? Yeah. Oh, I, 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 you're I And that song goes crazy. That song is so good. Uh, I was so surprised by her. I mean, I'm surprised by her every time I see her in a movie or, you know, The Queen's Gambit or something. She's constantly upping her game. Yeah. She's going for, especially like from The Witch to now. There's a complete, she's amazing in The Witch, but she's even better in this movie. She's just constantly changing her game and getting new roles, which shows diversity in her acting. She's not like a one character actor. Like she's genuinely so good at what she does. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And I think just her her look, she's got such a distinctive yeah. look and it mm-hmm. it feels like, she feels like a fantasy, which is why it's yeah. so perfect to cast her in that role of like, when I dream, I dream of Anya Taylor-Joy. Because she is, <laughs> she's not, I mean, she, she doesn't look like anyone you know. Yeah, And no, so it's so like, the casting was good where you have Thomas and Mackenzie, who um, also an amazing performance, yeah. but ha, 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 it, it and it's very pretty, pretty, but has has more has looks more like a, a human a human that you'd know, yeah. as opposed to Anya Taylor Joy looks like an exotic like supermodel who yeah. you dream of, and it, it just that dynamic between the two worked very well. Yes, I agree. She had such a swagger about her too. Like mm-hmm. Even like when she walked into the bar for the first time, I was like, I want a job. That was our first introduction to this character. I mean, she walks in and then she takes off her coat and like checks herself real quick and then goes in and is like, I want a job here. I don't have any prior experience, but I'm going to get this job. Yeah. I want to perform here. And that, I feel like that really set the for what was to come with her character and especially, you know, all the flashbacks in the sixties, it set the tone fairly well because we're like, Oh, she knows what she wants. She has such a swagger about her. She's going to get what she wants eventually. Yeah. Yeah, totally, totally. And and it is and it is hard to see her sort of fall into this into this dark dark mm-hmm. world and everything. Um what did you think of the kind of act 3 of it all where the worlds collide and she gets murdered and things get crazy and Terrence you think Terrence Stamp is Matt Matt Smith but he's just a cop and he he's not yeah. the guy who What do you think of all that? The amount of shock that went through my body after the scene where he's leaving the <laughs> and he gets hit by a car. Yeah. And it's out of nowhere. Yeah. And then, like, as soon as he, like, the whole time, it's like, she could have found out that that wasn't him. She could have asked his name from somebody and be like, hey, what's this guy's name? And he's like, oh, no, it's it's Lindsay. And we find that out as soon as he's dead. And then now we all feel bad. Now, I, I like, I, I was guilty because the whole time I thought this guy was him. So I felt bad. I'm like, dang, now he's dead. Um, I felt like the act three, because in after starting the movie and we meet Miss Collins and everything, um, I knew that either one of them, that she was going to be Sandy or he was going to be Jack. I knew that either one of them was going to be some that had to do something with the past. Yeah. And as soon as uh, Lindsay had died, Terrence Stamp's character, I was like, okay, then it's got to be 
then she's got to be Sandy. That's just how it goes. And I'm so glad she was because that gave such an incredible, like I knew it was Diana Rake's final role because she passed away in 2020 and I, that I, I love Diana Rigg. I've loved her. I, I learned about her mostly from uh, being my favorite Bond girl of all time. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. She was in a Bond girl? On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Oh, yes. I see that now. I see that. I see that. She's so, she's so captivating in that and yet powerful yeah. and but feminine and beautiful and mysterious and intriguing and like on his intellectual level, it just, it, her dynamic and that works so well. And then obviously like game of Thrones and this, and she's popped up in, in, in character work through the years. But anyway, this is all to say I'm obsessed with Diana Rigg and just, I'm so glad that she got this like moment at the end to really be like a, have a pivotal role in the story and in the film and just like I mean that's it, it had to have been fun for her to play an old lady who murders people yeah. by poisoning their tea it had to have been fun dude I knew as soon as like she drank that tea I was like something's fishy yeah I felt like that twist was very like even though after uh Lindsay had died that was his name correct I'm saying that Terrence Sam's character I think uh, his name Terrence was- Stamp was Lindsay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So after his character had died, I was like, okay, I know what's coming, but still the payoff with the twist was like very high. As soon as oh, yeah. we found out, it was still like, Oh, like, even though you expected it, at least I did. I was like, it, it still was like a complete shock because this whole time she's been experiencing, like this girl has seen everything that has happened to her starting from when she walked into that bar for the first time or the club for the first time. And so now that she's witnessed all of this, it's, it adds more depth to both of their characters, I think, because now they've both almost had this shared experience because Eloise has seen all of these things that has happened to her. I felt like that added to the twist as well. And also deepened the plot a little bit, if that makes any sense. No, it totally makes sense. It totally makes sense. And I mean, beyond their performances, it um, it was so sort of meta and interesting to cast Terrence Stamp and Diana Rigg, who were two actual legends yeah. of London in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And, um, and obviously we lost Diana Rigg not long after this was filmed, but um, like, I always get sad because, I mean... I, I always find myself nostalgic for times I never lived in, which, you know, yeah. whatever, what, what can you do about it? But like, mm-hmm. but I mean, as you move farther and farther away from these times, you start to lose more and more people who experience this, you know, I mean, like when I was young, there were lots of world war II veterans that you'd meet. And now, I mean, it's, I mean, my grandfather is 98. He's a World War II veteran, but there's, wow. I mean, there's not that many of them left, right? Yeah. I mean, but we're coming to the time where these legends of London in the early to mid 60s are in their mid 80s. Yeah. It's going to be a time that we soon lose that like first person mm-hmm. account of. So it's cool to have these people, um, specifically Terrence Stamp, I know like was Mm -hmm. with all the cute British stars at the time. (laughs) And, and he was, he, there, there was this Guardian article. I just, I just read in him, read on him where he, he said, when the sixties died, I died with it. Oh, wow. (laughs) He was just, he, it was, it was, it was his peak. He, he admits it. And, um, yeah, but, but it's, it's great to have those people sort of play the older versions yeah. just because it's of their own personal history with it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. It's almost like a preservation of that time, especially yeah, yeah. like you said, having those people in the roles involving, you know, the season, everything. It's almost like a preservation of that time now that we get to witness as, you know, people who haven't experienced that. And I can't imagine what it's like 
for people who have experienced that to watch a movie like this and be like, oh my God, that's not what it's like. Or that's exactly what it was like. Or I feel like that's a really cool point. I mean, we haven't experienced like quite enough yeah. time passing to have like movies made about like times in our childhood or like times yeah. a long time ago. But it is interesting even when, I mean, because I, I definitely have the have had the experience of being being young when a lot of older people try to make movies about teenagers now, yeah. and you know you're like there's elements that are right, there's elements that aren't right. Yeah. And it's it's weird, it's weird watching something that you know being being portrayed on screen um, for sure. But uh, I mean, I, I think going back to like how this movie got mixed reviews, part of the criticism I was seeing was like people saying that the sort of dark tone of the movie didn't really match the kind of glossy look of it, which I definitely understood. Like I understood why people would think that, but I think for me, the point of the film was really like looking at how we tend to romanticize certain things and like how how the 60s looks all nice when we look at it in retrospect and oh look at the cute dresses and the this and the that and then underneath that underneath all the like you know underneath all the like the shininess of how cool it was and how awesome the music was it was dirty there were murders there was sexual assault there there were there were uh people being betrayed and convinced to do things they didn't want to do and uh i mean basically it 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 it, it that point wouldn't have come across as well has had it not been so kind of glossy i think yeah i feel like i i honestly i i disagree with that criticism a little bit because i mean hmm. that one scene when uh sandy's walking away like the chasing per se when Sandy's running away and Eloise is chasing after her and like we have that shot of the puddle and the camera almost flips and we see that and we see her fall it still has that dark it's stunning a beautiful scene probably probably my favorite in the movie uh we have that darker tone with the glossy neon I feel like that adds to it like I, I, I see the criticism I don't agree with it I feel like there was a very nice mix between the two. I'm also a sucker for neon lighting. I feel like <laughs> it a very, very good aspect to film. So I, I love that part. Um, I do see where that criticism comes from, though. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That scene that you bring up, um, I was so, like, I love scenes that flip a song that you know, yes. give it a different meaning. Yep. Um, always something there to remind me is my favorite Burt Bacharach song. I'm a big Burt Bacharach fan. I don't know if you know. <laughs> I've never heard of him. That whole idea of there's always something like, I was born to love you and I will never be free. You'll always be a part of me. And it's like, it's all boppy and in the uh-huh. in the tone of the rest of the soundtrack. But then it's like, oh, fuck, she's never going to escape this. Like, yeah. you're, you're so, I, I love that he was able to just drop that at the perfect point. I think that might be the first moment or was it the night before that the visions start entering her real life? I think it was the night before. Yeah. But maybe it's the first, it's the first time they start entering her real life in the daytime, yeah. which also feels yeah. like another kind of step. Oh, into, you know what like, I mean? Oh shit moment. That was when I was like, Oh shit. Like, yeah. This, it feels more real when it's like, it's the day and it's not yeah. like she can't escape it. No, I thought it, I thought it was stunning. I thought yeah. like it added, especially with like the the song behind it, it added a really nice tension of what's to come because it kind of sat you there and it's like, oh, is she gonna catch her? What happens if she catches her? Uh, it added it added this really nice tension to the latter half of the movie. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, what were your criticisms? My criticisms. Okay, I feel like I'm being picky. Obviously, I feel like everyone's being picky when they're picking out criticisms. That's I'm going to destroy you on the internet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my biggest criticism, 
I think was, I feel like Hurricane Jocasta's character could have been written better. I felt like it was a very basic, you know, kind of bitchy character who was just like, you know, I don't like her. You know, she's from a small town. We're in the big city now. It's like, I felt like that writing was not sloppy, but I just feel like it wasn't really focused. I felt like if we had someone who had like berated her and added more tension and anxiety to her everyday life, it could have heightened a little bit of her character because we could have like felt that as well as like we're feeling for Eloise and like like she's going through these terrible experiences at night and during the day she's being terrorized by this girl and so but I mean obviously still she's still being terrorized that's not I'm not trying to put that down or anything right. but I feel like being like you know she's a small town girl isn't as heightened as literally witnessing people get murdered in your dreams you know yeah <laughs> like, yeah, yeah of course of course of course and I felt like the pacing in um, in the middle, especially around when Ellen started, you know, having romantic interest, I felt like that yeah. had dragged a little bit. I felt like that. Whole, oh, interesting. I feel also felt like the romance wasn't necessarily needed. Mm. Obviously, it was good if he had like pushed her a little bit more or been like, you know, trying to look into what she's doing. Like maybe he would think that she's, you know, schizophrenic. Or, you know, trying to dive deeper into that instead of just kind of being this romantic interest without any real payoff. And I felt like the scene where, you know, he gets, still spoilers, he gets stabbed. I felt like that scene would have had a lot more impact. Because right now, at, at least for me, in that scene, all I cared about was Eloise. I wanted to, like, make sure that she, you know, right, she was right, going right, to be able sure. to get out of the house. I <laughs> get, felt like, leave him. Yeah, no, literally go. You don't need him. No. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like if they had developed his character a little bit more, made him less of a romantic interest and more of a main character, then it would have a lot more impact. At least for me. I always I always argue with Clara um on this on podcast. Shout out Clara. Um <laughs> for because they are always kind of like don't want the people to end up with their romantic interests and i'm just yeah. like i want it to happen like why wouldn't i yeah. want it to happen yeah. like i don't and Claire's like they don't need that person and whatever certain movies <laughs> okay i so <laughs> i agree <laughs> but there are certain movies where it's not needed. this is a movie this lady is literally experiencing the past she does not need this guy. She's got a lot on her mind currently. She's got to find, she's, no, not a huge fan of that. Other movies, yes, fall in love, beautiful, love it. This, not so much. Okay, so I'm going to respond to your points. There were the yeah. three points. Oh, three points. Right? There were three. Yeah. It was yeah. the uh, Jocasta. Jocasta, yes. First of all, <laughs> we just, well, let's just, let's just, let's just get into Jocasta, first of all. Um, I I think you have a point there, though. I think one-dimensional characters aren't always. Uh, sorry, let's one-dimensional. I don't know. Two-dimensional characters. Do you call them two-dimensional or one-dimensional? One-dimensional. They're just like not. One, they're just not three-dimensional. You know. Yeah, we don't anyway. experience what they're feeling. And but one dimension is just a line, so I don't know. Yeah. Like well, that's I felt like her character was just a line. She you felt like her character was just a line. Okay, so she's one-dimensional. <laughs> so so like one-dimensional characters like that um i i defend a director's right to use a one-dimensional character if they know that they're using a one-dimensional character Mm. right so in her case i thought it was so obviously one-dimensional with like oh yeah you're so brave and you're like i thought that (laughs) i was cracking up at that whole thing and then and then the sort of and then the the sort of thing with um where she's like in the bathroom and she's going oh my god can you believe she wakes her own clothes and i'm like i i i i it's good when directors know what they're doing when directors don't know what they're doing it's like a rom-com and you like don't realize that the like female character in the rom-com is like seriously underwritten and provides no intellectual value to the plot continuing off that i would actually agree with your point about the guy i think that I disagree that they shouldn't have ended up together because I'm a romantic. <laughs> and not only that, not only that, but I think the movie is about uh, 
women's relationships with men. And I think that like he's contrasting with Anya Taylor-Joy's, or I should say Sandy's relationships with yeah. all these like horrible men. And so it's it's sort of about her facing her fears. Like it's about um, Eloise facing her fears of men while having this kind of like guy like on her side. And I thought that that, um, that like fundamental dynamic worked well, but I didn't think his performance was particularly good, which yeah. bothered me. Not, like not yeah, a good actor unfortunately yeah. sometimes <laughs> sometimes bad writing can be fixed with good acting and i yeah. think Absolutely. and i think like when when you don't believe a love story it's either it's usually a combination of the writing and the acting and i think like i just didn't see what he saw in her and i think you're probably in the same boat of like why are you yeah trying so hard here when yeah. she's like so weird and so like i don't want to hang out with you goodbye like i'm gonna go back to my bed to dream (laughs) you're like okay um so i i just didn't understand why he was sticking around and um especially after the one scene after the party where they go back to her her place and all that starts to unfold she starts freaking out right he stuck around like he like stuck around after he really got to give him a little props. That was freaky. I got to give him a little bit of props. That was, yeah. that was pretty freaky sticking around and still pursuing after that. But I mean, it, I, I got to hand it to him. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then to your point about it dragging, just, just no, I just have no response to that. I just okay. disagree. I just okay. disagree, but I have no, I have no, I have no reasoning. I don't really remember. I just remember always being interested because she changes her, she changes her hair. And then I want to see, I, I want to like, I, I want to see what the next dream is every time I was just, yeah. I was just in, but uh, yeah, I, see, I, I felt like I was always interested in it, but I yeah. felt like it, it just took, it took a little bit of its time to get to the point. Mm-hmm. And, but at the point, like everything in between that point was brilliant, but I just felt like it took, it took a little while to get to you know, the big, the big twist and everything. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I acknowledge, I, I acknowledge your feelings. Ah, appreciate that. I'm glad you feel heard. We haven't talked about Matt Smith at all. I feel like we, we've completely glossed over him. You know, I didn't like, it was fine. And I think yeah. it served a purpose and it didn't yep. detract, but it didn't add anything. I don't feel, I don't feel like, I don't feel like we need to, he plays an important role, but I somehow don't feel like I need to talk about Matt Smith. How do you feel about Matt Smith? Yeah. I mean, I thought he was, I thought he was fine. Like, yeah. it's, like I, I like, I grew up watching him in Doctor Who. He was like, yeah, for sure. Doctor when I was growing up, like I loved him, but like, I guess, man, I don't really know since I feel like his character, like after Sandy, like, you know, when the whole thing unfolds and like, I guess I'm a little naive because they're like, oh, he's a manager. He's a manager. And then there was that one scene. And I was like, oh, no, that's not what he is. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm too naive. I didn't understand. Um, <laughs> I felt like after that point, when we had learned that what Sandy was going through, we didn't need him anymore. I felt mm. like once we learned about what she had been through and what she was dealing with. And then after she killed him we didn't need him anymore. And the movie did a good job of that. After she killed him, they didn't really bring him back up very much. I mean, when uh, Miss Collins- makes a tiny, tiny appearance at the end, but yeah. Yeah, like when Miss Collins was talking about everything with Eloise, we saw him for a little bit, but I feel like the movie did a good job of balancing after he died, not him, after he died, him still not being like a big character, you know? Yeah, it, totally. It ended him on a good note because he's an asshole. Don't like mm-hmm. him. Yeah. Uh, but he ended on a note that was satisfying and I'm glad that they didn't, you know, keep him back up. Like, Oh, he's back in the dream over oh, seeing him again. It kind of developed that plot line a little bit more after he had died, especially with the Terrence stamp payoff when we're like, Oh, that's him. No, it's not. And then the rest of the movie unfolds. I felt like it did a really good job of balancing that. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I agree with that. And but like, I mean, well, yeah, continue. No, I mean, he's fine. Like he <laughs> didn't add anything. Like he was 
I think that it was perfectly cast in the sense that he's like kind of good looking, but not. <laughs> I don't know about that. I would maybe he's fine. <laughs> like that's kind of that's kind of I, I I when I say kind of good looking, I mean like kind of like he's like he's like you could see how some some girl at a bar would be like oh matt smith but then like <laughs> you know you know what i mean yeah 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 no, i do he like, had this he had the swagger about him too he had a good like, swagger yeah he like absolutely especially that scene when anya taylor joy uh performs downtown for the first time for the you know the manager and uh jack and he starts like clapping like oh like this guy's like really in this and then after then he did all those horrible things and he still had that swagger about him but like after we had learned that he was kind of an asshole he still had that swagger but we just had a different interpretation of him totally and then he started showing that a little bit more by you know forcing her to do things she didn't want to do or verbally her and everything and then I, after that i was like nope don't like this guy not a fan don't like him yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i mean but ultimately, like everyone in that plotline sort of serves to have a function to Anya Taylor-Joy's plotline where, mm-hmm. where she's experiencing this sort of rise and downfall. Paige compared it to Mulholland Drive, which I don't know if Ooh. you've seen, but I thought yeah. that was a really interesting comparison. That Yeah, that's solid. With the kind of like dream, yeah, like, I- have you seen it? No, I actually haven't. That's one of the. Uh, I will not that. spoil Mahalan. I will. I could never. Yeah, I'm. 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 Uh, I'm gonna go to Barnes and Noble and buy the Criterion of it because I want to watch it really bad. But yeah. that is a funny. I I know the basic, you know, plotline of it, and that is a decent comparison. I, from what I know, at least. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, um, so Mahalan Drive for sure. I see. I see a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm. Um, also, um. I I'd, I'd read ahead of time that it was probably he he was basing this a lot on the tone of Don't Look Now, which I don't know if you've seen, but it's a Nicholas Rogue movie with uh, Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie. The movie that I saw so much of in this um, was uh, Repulsion by Roman Polanski, starring Catherine Deneuve. Which I don't know if you've seen. Have you seen that one? Very good. So. It's very good. It's very, um, it's very like paranoid, and um, there, there, there are a lot of specific visual cues back to that. But more than anything, it's about this sort of like, I, 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 I guess in Repulsion, she hasn't like just moved to London, but it's like it's about a it's about a younger woman who's an outsider in London and is innocent in this sort of like world of sin. And, and beyond that, there's a lot of sort of like visual callbacks to it. Like all the hands coming out of there, there, there's a famous scene in repulsion where all these hands coming out of the wall and start like groping her. And, mm-hmm. and um, that's a lot like sort of what happens to Eloise on the bed and everything. Um, but yeah, no, I, 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 I rewatched that and sort of like the way she's kind of getting catcalled on the street is a lot, a lot like what happens to Eloise in this movie. Um, that movie just has the most, uh in terms of in terms of plot line um the sort of most most callbacks to but then i think don't look now has a lot of the um this movie gives you a lot of red herrings they give you a lot of like misleading signals as to where this thing's going and don't look now has a famous famous red herring in it which i will not spoil but it's i want to see it now you absolutely should. It's it's. I think it's Edgar Wright's favorite movie. I think he said that. Um, but um, it's like with all the twists and turns and the way this thing kind of moves along, it reminds me a lot of Don't Look Now. And and um, a, a a lot of these sort of sixties and seventies uh, thrillers have have these sort of two dimensional side characters, like we were talking yeah. about, or one dimensional. Yeah, the lines. Is- dimensional whichever whichever dimension it is it's just not three do you feel like there's going to be movies in the future that are going to try to do what last night in soho did i mean maybe i mean nothing's really tried to do baby driver you know 
I mean, when something I also, if it's not, if it's not like particularly well received as it's not been so far, it's, it's been, people have liked it. Um, I don't, I, 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 I'm, I'm not quite sure people are going to copy it, but what do you think? I don't, I, I honestly think that it's going to be insanely difficult to, you know, try to do something. I feel like more movies that kind of embrace that mix between two times is going to be a common trope within the next few years of filmmaking, but anything that's currently like last night in Soho, I don't think it's ever, I don't think it's going to be like a stepping stone for more movies to kind of have that mix between two times in that uh like a research hopefully a better resurgence of a psychological thriller era of filmmaking i i definitely do miss the sort of psychological thriller the sort of twists and turns even even the things we were getting in like the late 90s um i think it just became that, yeah. yeah the sort of like early m night Shyamalan stuff um like it's just it's just really fun to see that sort of style of filmmaking where you don't know what's going to happen. I think, I think, um, I think that just became so overcopied then that people got sick of it. People got sick of the kind of, mm-hmm. um, Oh, there's going to be a twist at the end and you're not going to know what it is, but it's going to undermine your whole sense of what actually happened. I think people, I think people definitely got sick of that. Um, but, but I, I would love to see more, uh, more psychological thrillers in this in this vein. I think the Safties are going to deliver on that. I feel like we have the Safties to help us, you know, pave the way for the the more anxious, paranoid filmmaking. Oh, I totally. Like no, that's a really good point. Yeah, that's a really like good point. That as a stepping stone to kind of push along that genre of anxiety and paranoia in filmmaking, which I feel like is a very very excellent trope. Not trope, but um tool in filmmaking to get your point across a little bit more especially in the horror genre no i I definitely felt when i was at can that like because that was uncut gems was like late 2019 maybe i think yeah yeah so so i mean the movies that are coming out at can now are most likely filmed over 2020 they're the Mm -hmm. first like really batch of films that come out after uncut gems and so many of them Mm-hmm. are so heavily influenced by uncut gems no, and I that's mean, that's, yeah. that's a movie where i feel like so many directors are like oh i can sort of do more of this i can sort of play with this a little more yeah. and ramp up the anxiety and mm-hmm. like um that sort of it, it it's amazing already the impact that i think safty's had on this yeah. batch of indie films that we're probably going to get into in the fall and going into award season yes I felt that I felt that in I felt that in um, I'm genuinely looking forward to it. Uh, sorry, you were cutting out, so I, I didn't realize you were talking. <laughs> no, you're good. All I said was, yeah, like I'm really looking forward to people yeah. trying to do what they're doing while they're still currently doing what they're doing. Right. Like, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I felt like I think probably like at least half of the movies at Cannes, I was like, I mean, Red Rocket was a lot like yeah. Uncut Gems in some ways. Teton Sean, Sean had Baker some movie. similar, yeah, yeah, Sean Baker movie. Teton had some similarities. Ooh, um, sorry, you haven't seen that one? No, that one's out. You have no excuse. No, I know I do have an excuse. I don't know. It just doesn't seem like my my type of movie. Mm, you gotta do it. <laughs> you gotta do it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Are you are you a Criterion fan? Are you a Letterbox user? You gotta do it. It's just part Sorry. of your contract. It's peer pressure. It's, it's peer pressure. It's straight up peer pressure. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm really good at it. Um, <laughs> anyway, no, I, I, I definitely feel like Uncut Gems has had like a huge impact on huge impact on film already, which is amazing to see. Um, yeah, and I hope that this movie has the same impact that Uncut Gems had on a lot of indie filmmakers. I feel like this movie had tools and scenes that are going to be used in later filmmaking but they're also you know um throwbacks to old 60s filmmaking so it's going to be kind of cool to see if we're going to be getting more of those you know tools and aspects of old movies in newer movies because of you know last night soho or things like that maybe that makes 
zero sense. No, it totally makes sense. But I, think, I hope that we see that in the future within filmmaking. It's interesting because Edgar Wright, um, Edgar Wright, I think, showed people in a time when studio rom-coms and like like when like we're so we're so so popular and when people would people were coming out of snl and -hmm. they were like okay will ferrell let's put you in talladega nights let's put you in blades of glory and let's put you in elf and by the way those are all movies that i love i'm just saying like they're shot very conventionally yeah so it's it's about it's about like let's put the camera on you so that you can do your joking and then we will capture that on film. That's what the directing is doing in those movies, as opposed to Edgar Wright, where the comedy is in the editing and the comedy is in, I I mean, and and that's not to say like Simon Pegg isn't freaking hilarious, but like a lot, a lot of the comedy is in what is what the director's doing. And I think, I think um, I, I I think we've gotten more of that in comedy. I think, yeah, I'm the number one champion of Barb and Star. I just have to find a time <laughs> to do that on a podcast. You have to find a way to reference Barb and Star. And no, any- Barb and Star totally does that. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet. I was slacking. I've been. Yeah. I'm sorry. I've been slacking. It's been you difficult. Have, this you have no excuse. It's on Hulu. Yeah. No, I don't. <laughs> It's on Hulu, isn't it? Or something like my that. Favorite, it's my favorite release of 2021. Um, Barb and Star does that. I mean, I'm a lot of a lot of like Andy Samberg's movies do that yes. actually, like yeah. um, Hot Rod and I, um, I mean all of his like sport movie parodies that he's done for HBO, like oh, the yeah, tennis yeah, one yeah, and yeah. the biking one, and all, all like he he does that as well. But I think um, I think he sort of influenced that move for sure but not not i mean not so much that it took over comedy but enough that you see it occasionally if that makes sense but yeah i don't know i don't know what this will do yeah i'm i'm looking forward to it for sure it's such an amazing movie if you haven't seen it yet and you're listening you've missed out you have to go whoops yeah we just because talk through the entire film Yes, it was amazing. Go watch it. Watch it again if you've already seen it. I'm going to go watch it again this week. It's brilliant. And paired with the viewing of French Dispatch, I feel like it was really cool too. Oh, yeah. Those are both, those are both kind of 60s, uh, yeah. 60s in Europe inspired. Yeah. Um, did either of those movies inspire you to dress differently? Oh, my gosh, dude. <laughs> the, the drip in French Dispatch is unmatched. Especially unbelievable. the student riot, the student riot part of French Dispatch. Probably a little bit of a spoiler for that too. The drip in that is unmatched. So good, especially it's so good. In their little club, unmatched. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, cool trick award. Do you have any thoughts on the cool trick award for this? Hmm. I'll let you go first. No, you go it first. Be... You go first. You go first. Okay. Oh, um the uh the uh dance scene where they're trading in and out yes it's anya and then it's and then it's uh mckenzie and there's anya and then it's mckenzie yeah. and apparently by the way apparently it was all done practically wow it so was all cool. done in one shot totally practically where they're no, they're literally trading yeah mm-hmm. it's they're it's literally so trading in and out um it, i liked the uh the scene where sandy is sitting in the like the booth and she's like banking on the glass and then eventually like breaks through. I thought that was kind of cool. I thought that was a cool trick. That that is a cool trick. That is a cool trick to be able to look like, break through. First. It looks like she, like it looks like she wasn't actually there. But when she broke through, it was like, oh what? wow. So there I thought that she is. Cool what did, cool did Paige say cool trick in this movie? Did she find one? Um we were in a movie theater, so she wasn't talking oh. much. Though I was I was uh, whispering to her like at random moments all the time. Um, <laughs> I forget what I was saying. Just like, just like, oh, can I tell you a little thing that I appreciated? I remember what I yes. whispered to her. Yes. Edgar Wright's attention to detail. So when when um when Eloise puts on the record to play the song Downtown by Petula Clark. Yes. That song is on side two and it's like it's track five, I think, or it's like midway through the record. 
I know this because I have the album. Oh, most oh most movies when they when they put on a record, they'll always put it to the first to like the beginning of that side of the record and they'll mm-hmm. be playing the song that they want because they're like oh you put it right there and there's the song and it drives me crazy when that's not actually where the song is in the album and instead she puts it to where the song would be in the actual album and it starts playing that song so that's something that i appreciated oh wow that's i didn't even notice that's crazy i'm sure that most is- people didn't notice that that just made me happy Dang. um Another thing that he said in an interview is that like the posters that she has on her wall, I don't remember the one that Breakfast at Tiffany's is one, yeah, but um, I don't remember the other one, but he was saying that with Breakfast at Tiffany's and the other one, they're both films that have, that the posters look very um, happy, but they mm-hmm. have much darker um, subject matter than Ooh. the posters mm-hmm. would think. And so that That's was sort cool. of foreshadowing yeah. for him, I guess. Yeah, because so I mean, look at the poster like on Letterbox now, and it's like this bright pastel, pastel color. You know, oh, the one where they kind of paint brushed on. I I want. Yeah. I literally want that poster. It's so. No, cool I do. Looking. I want it so bad. It's yeah, so. I'm gonna. Cool. I'm gonna keep my eye out for that one. Yeah, absolutely. Um do you, do you think that this movie will kind of go the Scott Pilgrim route and become more acclaimed over time? Or do you think it'll go the kind of baby driver route? When I, and I don't mean this in a, like, I like baby driver, but I think it got probably a little overhyped at the time. And I think people are kind of stepping back on that. Do you think, which direction do you think last night in Soho will kind of take in the public conscience? I think it is going to get like Scott Pilgrim and subtly get more popular as mm-hmm as time goes on there's so much within that movie to dissect and to appreciate that it's hard to like sit there first viewing and appreciate all of these things i feel like as time goes on we're going to start noticing more things more references to other films more references to plot points that we had missed or any of that i feel like it is going to get better people are going to like it as time goes on good to know yes (laughs) I look forward to more people appreciating this film. Yes, than we can, uh, I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. Simply we don't we get can it. invite more people into Last Soho Island. It'll be great. Buy real estate now <laughs> on Last Soho Island. <laughs> there, that sounds good. <laughs> um anything anything else you want to oh let's just briefly just talk about how great the soundtrack is. It's just fucking awesome. Amazing. Stunning. Stunning. Beautiful. Perfectly matches the tone. Yeah, I I um I get bitter when directors pull from my playlist and don't credit me. Oh, and I really it, feel like no. When I when I went to London in like 2018, I I made a I made a 60s London playlist, and I just feel like Edgar Wright took all my songs, and I'm um, I'm bitter that he didn't credit me in the soundtrack. <laughs> At the very bottom, we have playlist creds Ethan Colburn oh my god I'd wait through the credits just like <gasps> <"Can> <laughs> have it? that's me that's me. That's my playlist unfortunately it was not my playlist but he but he that's slayed it and I think oh um just also just talking about the music um did did you also experience that, that fake out where you think in the first few minutes that she is actually in the 60s and then she's wearing the beats headphones on the train and then She's not actually in yes. the 60s. That yep. was that yep. was fantastic. Yep. No, I thought that no, that was really good. No, I yeah. agree with that. Yeah. Cause that like it was, yeah. No, I agree with that. What a awesome. fun, what a fun way to do that. Because you're like, why would her grandma like know all this cool music? And then you're like, oh, because it was 50 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that was really brilliantly done. Yeah. Everything about this movie is brilliant. And it 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 also showed just like how isolated she was from like modern culture the fact that like everything she was and experienced seemed to be like very uniquely uh 60s um and going off that as well especially in that shot because in the same shot where she's wearing the headphones it kind of zooms back a little bit and everyone else is like sitting with someone or they're talking and she's still isolated all there by herself i feel like that was very good character choice as well isolated Isolated. anything 
And anything else you want to uh, touch on? I think we covered it. I mean, honestly, it's an amazing movie. Uh, check it out. It's in theaters. If uh, he actually, I I do. He played it in a thirty-five millimeter at some uh, some theater in London. I saw that on his Instagram. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I was seeing he kept showing up at these like these like screenings and stuff. I I I, I, I think the whole movie was shot. <laughs> your right Cinemark in, Cinemark. <laughs> on your Cinemark outside Houston. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wish that'd be fun. Oh, Edgar Wright needs to leave leave London. Actually, he doesn't need to leave London. I love his movies about London. Yes, and it's great. He movies about London, but in between, you know, do like a little press tour. Do like a little press tour. Go to Boston. How about Richard Linklater starts making movies in London? And Edgar Wright starts making movies in Houston. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. You can trade. Love that so much. I love you can trade like a baseball team. You can trade your yeah. you can trade your directors. We can like have like a like a fantasy football team, but it's just directors. Yeah. No, I would genuinely love to see an Edgar Wright movie about Texas because Linklater nails it on the head every single time he makes one. I'll give your I'll, I'll give you Linklater and Ethan Hawke for Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright. Let's do it. Deal. We'll take it. That's it. We'll <laughs> oh man. Um, well, Steven, this has been really, really fun. And, um, you are, you are an all-star guest. It's nice to, it's nice to kick off the, the show again with you. Um, almost like a season two. You know, maybe I should just call it season two. That's a good idea. Yeah. Season two would work. Hey, hey, um, hey. Uh, you know how we wrap things up. Do you want to give I a do. quote in character? Have you thought this I, over? I do. All right. I thought about this one every other time. I thought I about this prepared. one. No, you I thought about prepared. this one. Oh, you thought about this one. Okay. 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 In spooky season, where it's where we just finished up Halloween. Yeah. What better movie than to watch than Poltergeist? And when you think of Poltergeist, what line do you think of? You think of they're here boom boom beautiful boom boom <laughs> beautiful absolutely beautiful i love poltergeist i loved your rendition yes. um <laughs> thank you you sound just like a little blonde girl yeah i am i am a little blonde girl. <laughs> yeah this has been uh this has been ethan colburn and a little blonde girl signing off thank you thank, <laughs> thank you, you for, for listening thank you <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Steve. This is good. Yes, anytime. I appreciate it, man. For sure.